Welcome everyone to episode 10 of What's That Sound podcast. My name's Stu Watts and today my guest is Bonnie Knight, who is a live sound engineer as well as a studio sound engineer and producer. Our conversation centers around what it's like to be a live sound engineer and how some of those skills translate into the studio, as well as some of their favorite plugins and hardware and the similarities between live mixing and studio mixing. It's going to be an awesome episode, so stay tuned. This is episode 10 of What's That Sound? You're listening to What's That Sound with your host, Stu Watts. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of What's That Sound podcast. My name's Stu Watts. Today, my guest is Bonnie Knight. Bonnie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks uh, Thanks for joining me. I know it was, uh, it was a little uh, tough to navigate. You've been sick. There's all stuff going on, but um, thanks, thanks for making the time today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. <laughs> um, now, let's, um, let's kick it off with anyone that doesn't know who you are. Can you give us a bit of a rundown of who you are and uh, what you do in the music industry? Uh, yeah, so I'm uh, probably predominantly sound engineer and also producer um, I've kind of come into it from a live sound background, but uh, as time goes on, it's sort of leaning more towards studio. Um, but yeah, I've toured for years as a live engineer um, and yeah, now more focusing on producing and studio engineering. Unreal. Um, let's take it back to the beginning. Where did music um, come into play for you? Very much right at the start. Um, my dad is well, was a musician. Um, so, yeah, the first show I ever went to was as a baby to the big day out when I was three months old or something. Yeah, wicked. <laughs> um, I can't, I can't yeah. think of many people that would have had that experience as a baby. So it's pretty sick. Yeah, it kind of occurred to, it hadn't really clicked till recently that, um, I was like, wow, I just have this life that's been filled with music. So I think it really informs the way I do things, you know? Yeah, yeah. Who, who were the um, who were the kind of like, who'd you listen to and who'd you grow up listening to? Uh, well, dad, like my, well, my dad always listened to heaps and heaps of different music. Um, and I remember there being like a whole wall of CDs at our house and I would just choose the ones that I liked the cover of the most. So yeah. I remember really liking, um, Prince Diamonds and Pearls because it had a really sparkly cover, but that's I don't no, know not a I bad thing. I loved Prince. <laughs> um, but then I feel like when I was, I had a seven to 12 I had a bit of a pop rebellion where I just was like no I don't want to listen to your daggy old music <laughs> dad I'm just gonna listen to Delta Goodrum so yeah right yeah 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 um and then when I was 12 I just went through this really huge Beatles phase and bought every Beatles CD and listened to purely the Beatles for a year Unreal. and Unreal. then I kind of went um back into a wider selection of music after that yeah cool and then so that was when you were younger when you were like what under 10 or was that teenage years the Beatles thing yeah or 
Uh, yeah, it was when I was 12. I remember going to high school and um, being like, well, the Beatles are so cool and I saw <laughs> the white stripes on the on the school holidays and everyone else was like, I saw Jesse McCartney. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, cool. And so then um, did it kind of obviously music played a big part, but um, did you, did you, do you play instruments by the way? Uh, yeah. So I played after that, i joined a band when I was like 15 and played bass in a band for eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't really, it was kind of clear to me that I didn't want to be a musician as such. And I found right. that, I guess, confusing because I, was like, I love music, but I don't want to be a musician. So it took me a bit to go, oh, you can work at music and work on music without being a musician. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, obviously when you're in high school, you don't really know, unless you're very clued into to that world, you don't. You only know the, the performers, you only know the artists and bands that you mm. listen to and that you see on like back in, you know, 10, 15 years ago, DVDs and you're watching all the band DVDs and you don't, <laughs> that there wasn't really much talk about you know, sound engineers and producers and stuff. Um, mm. Yeah, so I can understand that. Um, where did so, where did um, like the production and engineering stuff or live 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 engineering? Where did that come into play? Did you go to school or anything like that? Yeah. So uh, after high school, I studied like a bunch of different things. Like I went and studied fine art for a bit Mm -hmm. and I went and studied science for a bit and none of it really clicked. And then I decided that I wanted to keep working in music. Mm -hmm. So I applied for this music industry degree, which seems kind of funny now, and I didn't get in. So I went to TAFE and it was sound production TAFE. And then once I got there, I was like, wow, this is so cool. Like, And where was that? uh, At RMIT. Yeah, nice. Yep. Yeah. And so what was your experience of schooling? What, what are you remembering, remembering now back then? What was, what was it like? Well, I guess actually like TAFE worked really well for me. Like I'm, I never, or particularly towards the end of high school, wasn't that good at like sitting down and writing and stuff. So mm-hmm. despite, like I didn't mean to do it, but once I got there I was like, oh, this like practical learning is really beneficial and works way better with my brain and yeah stuff. absolutely so. and getting the hands-on I know at RMIT I, I I didn't study there I studied at what was NMIT which is now Polytechnic mm-hmm. but very similar thing you know you had I did a recording at RMIT with uh, a guy that I knew that was that was studying there and you know it's cool you got a huge analog desk set up at the time that I was there but it's it's like this gear that you only see in videos and stuff you just <laughs> you get your hands on it and you're like, this is unreal. Like to be able to do it every day is crazy. Well, it's because I didn't really go in as an audio nerd, I guess. Mm. Like I definitely became one. But I I remember being like, yeah, I understand that this is like the best stuff. But now I look back and I'm like, whoa, <laughs> that was like the best stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's yeah. crazy. And so do you remember having any um, kind of like producer people that you looked up to back then? Obviously you weren't really clued into the producer world at that stage, but do you remember if there was anyone that you remember being like that, they're my go-to? No, not at all. Like there was, I remember there being an assignment that was like you had to 
do a presentation on a producer. And I I think it took me, even though I was like studying it, it took me a while to work out that still that that was a job. So I was like, mm. oh, what's something I want to focus on? Mm. So like now I kind of, you know, can be like, oh, I love this person, this person. But at the time, I, I think I did it on... um that Enya's producer who's like her husband I think or her yeah, right. maybe her brother I don't know some kind of relationship yeah and it, which it seems really funny because you don't think oh yeah. he's your favorite producer Enya's producer but I <laughs> yeah. think I was just really interested about the reverb or something yeah right yeah 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 I mean, it probably would have taught you a lot just doing that one assignment about you know finding out about effects and processing and stuff maybe who knows but um yeah so do you remember then obviously you graduated or did you did you go straight into another job then or so I started doing live sound Mm -hmm. and then I went I was still kind of thought that I wanted to work in film like I was at that point I thought I want to work on film soundtracks right right um so I went and did it was like an option to do an extra year and a half and turn it into a degree, a Bachelor mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. Design, Sound Design. So I went and did that. I don't, like looking back on it, it seems wild to me <laughs> that I was studying, I think, full-time and also working probably full-time. But I'm always very busy and I always probably <laughs> take on too much. So, yeah, I went and did that. And then I really enjoyed that kind of work I really liked sort of working to a brief and that kind of thing but as I started to work more in music I just realized I think it just took me a while to work out that it was like a tangible path Mm -hmm. you know I had this concept that no one could ever make a living off music so so then how did that how did you come to understand that then making a living off music yeah (laughs) fair enough Making enough money to live. I like quit my bar job and was like, oh, I guess I can just do this as a job. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And so what were you you primarily mixing? Was it a specific venue or did you mix for a band or anything like that or? Um, I don't really know. At the start I kind of, I think I did a bit of in-housing at some venues, but Mm -hmm. it was mostly because I had come from being already in a music scene, I guess once I started doing it and I was, I guess, good at it, um, people just asked me to mix their shows. You know, I had that network already. It wasn't. um, And so then how long did that look, how how long did that last, the live? I mean, you're still doing live stuff, I I, I know, but um, Mm -hmm. when did that transition into more of the producing and engineering? Um, Hmm. I guess there wasn't really a catalyst or anything. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a um, just trying stage. a whole bunch of different things <laughs> and see what yeah. works. I just started doing it occasionally and then realized that I want to do that more. Like looking, I, I really love being a part of live music and, um, you know, all of the positive parts of that. But if I look at my life in five years from now, I don't really want to be touring anymore. So I realised that I sort of had to make a conscious effort to move. Um, Mm. And then I guess COVID happened and Mm. there was no live music. And so it, Mm. it was 
kismet almost. <laughs> kind of a feast or famine type thing. You, you know, you got to find something. Well, no, not even. It was like something I already wanted to do and mm-hmm. just coincidentally fell in line with a terrible global event. So totally, totally. To um, did you on. have anyone um, that kind of mentored you along the way, especially first off in the live thing? Were you figuring it out yourself mostly? Was there a, a group of people or anything like that? Uh, in live, I mean, when I did work in a bar, one, one of my really good friends, Guy, who um, is a live engineer and also a studio, um, we made, like became friends because I, I <laughs> accidentally stabbed myself in the hand and I couldn't bartend and so I was doing the door at the Evelyn yep. and he would, go, he would do sound there all the time and the yep. door was like kind of near the sound desk mm-hmm. and I'd watch yep. him and I was like studying sound and I was like, oh, can you like tell me about this? Um, which is really funny that that's how we met because now we're really good friends and it's been years and stuff. So yeah, yeah, I guess yeah. him as a starting mentor but also peer, you know. Yeah, yeah um, absolutely. And then and yeah, moving now, into the, the producing and engineering, was there people that guided you there or, you know, did you kind of just ask a bunch of people if I could jump in onto a session or anything like that? I, I did ask. I actually, I think maybe this is why it took a while to move as much as that I have. Um, but I feel like I always expressed a lot of interest. Like I was like emailing studios being like, Hey, I'll like come work for free. Like I, I, I'm like good at rolling cables and <laughs> stuff like that. And I did some internships and things and they were, I don't know. I, I, it was always felt really unwelcoming or something. Right. Um, so no, I haven't really had mentors in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. So tell, tell um, us a little bit more about that. Like what was it about that experience that made it feel unwelcoming? I mean, it's really hard to say. I, I know that it's not like an easy in, um, industry, but I feel like, I don't know. There yeah, it's it's weird to say now. There was like instances where I like asked if I could assist someone and they were like, no, I don't take assistance and then mm. had an assistant like the next week and it was like, what yeah, like what right. am I doing wrong? But um And does that those those sorts of experiences, does that change how you operate now as, you know, doing your own jobs? Um, does that influence you like I'm never gonna do I'm never gonna be that to, to anyone? Um yeah, like I, I feel like whenever people um, contact me about, um, it doesn't happen in a while, but occasionally I'll get someone be like, oh, can I ask you some questions or whatever. I'll always try and be friendly <laughs> and responsive unless I'm really busy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And beautiful. And let's, let's dive but, into, you know, some of the sessions that you've worked on. I mean, you've, you've worked with some pretty, pretty awesome acts like Amal and the Sniffers, Teen Jesus and Teen G. God, that's hard to say. <laughs> Teen Jesus and Gene Teasers and Greta Ray and things like that. Like some pretty, pretty great acts that are doing some really cool stuff in the industry. So what did that look like? Did you, was it again, was it kismet? Was it just being in the right place at the right time? What, what, how did that all happen? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I mean, I think I'm a really lucky person. Like I'm really hardworking and I'm really dedicated and stuff, but I, I think that I, underneath that there's like a bed of 
yeah, being in the right place at the right time or luck or like, I don't know. I've said that to people and they're like, no, you're just really nice. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> um, but yeah, Amel, um, it was kind of funny. I was like in Sydney. I moved to Sydney for a little bit during the pandemic mm-hmm. or during the lockdowns. Um and their manager was like, hey, do you want to come engineer this album? And I was like, yeah, I'm in Sydney, though. And I was like, you know what? I'm not doing anything else. So I went to Melbourne in the middle yep. of a lockdown to record that album. Yeah, yeah. Um, teen Jesus and the Gene <laughs> Teasers. Um, <laughs> they must love that, by the way. They must love when people just consistently mess up their name. <laughs> yeah. Um, that... See, that's kind of, I guess, going back to that concept of already having this network thing. Like I'd uh, I'd met one of them, but I think that I got asked to do the job because Alex Leahy was producing. And Alex, like I met when I was about 16, like her band used to play with my band years ago. So, yeah. Yeah, beautiful. And what do those sessions look like? I think from listening to, you know, listening through the Amel and the Sniffers album, there's obviously it's, I mean, I want to talk about your music style, but the actual sound of Amel is like, there's obviously it's raw punk rock, you know, there's, there's, it's noisy, but I think every song has its own sort of a sound, especially like drum sounds, guitar sounds, all that sort of thing. Is that, was that intentional in those sessions or did it just turn out that way? Did they have multiple mixes, et cetera? Like what, what, what was all that about? Uh, well, I didn't mix it. Um, Nicola Ney did, mm-hmm. who lives from the UK. So I don't know much yep. specifically about the mixing. But, right. I mean, it was kind of I'd heard them before and I'd met them before. Um, and then when I got sent the demos, I was like, wow, this is like really a huge step forward for them in a songwriting Mm -hmm. sense. It felt really like, um, you know, like it's really easy, I guess, particularly for punk bands to do a second album and it be... um, The same. Just the same, (laughs) but it it really felt like a, you know, a developed artist step. Yeah. And Dan Luscombe was a producer and he, like... I think I'd met him before. Maybe I hadn't. I don't think I'd met him before. And it was kind of a funny thing where we're like, we're at the studio. It was like, hi, dad. (laughs) He was like, hi. (laughs) Um, But, and he's like, you know, he has played in heaps of bands and is like really good at, um, you know, guitar tones and structure and like Mm -hmm. maybe we'll do this bit or like play that, play it in this way, that Mm -hmm. kind of producer. Mm -hmm. Um, And he, he, I was like, oh, what do you want to, to sound like he was like oh you, you just do what you think and I was like okay cool <laughs> so it, we really kind of works well together in that sense um, that's awesome so that obviously yeah. there was a trust aspect there that you guys had built up to you know allow for you to do your thing for them to do their thing do you yeah think I mean we'd never met so it wasn't really trust it was just innate or well, yeah I guess it's trust but innate trust rather than built on anything yeah, yeah. When you um, are working with new people, do you take a lot of time to get to know them? Like obviously that one was the way it was, but all the other acts that you work with, do you take time to get to know them before the sessions or do you like to just jump straight in? Yeah, no, I like to – I mean actually with the, that album we had a day of setup, so it was kind of 
like you know someone came in and tuned the drum kit and stuff so Mm -hmm. um we had that day to get to chat i guess Mm -hmm. um but other than that like usually if i've got sessions and stuff i'll always do particularly if it's production i'll do like some kind of pre-production meeting mostly i mean obviously to see what's we're going to do and stuff but it i think it just works better to be able to chat to someone get to know them a little bit before you like try and take on this (laughs) yeah absolutely absolutely the sonics in terms of the acts that you worked with worked with in the past and and currently they to me it's either like really raw really like punk there's a punk aspect to it or it's gentle pop stuff so there's like it's an interesting sort of like uh i don't know what the word is but an interesting two dimensions there is that are they just your favorite styles of music or is it coincidence or where where does that come from i think it's a little bit coincidence i think i think about it all the time in terms of i listen to so many different types of music I really want to work on lots of different types of music and I feel like particularly in Australia sometimes engineers and producers kind of get pigeonholed or like mm. you know it's it is a lot of word of mouth and stuff so it'll be like oh so and so worked on it you know yeah um so yeah. I like really actively want to not just work on one kind of music or I guess two kinds of music um but I also Going back to the childhood thing is quite funny because, yeah, my dad played in a punk band and I grew up around all these punks. Um, Can you name drop? I want to hear the name. Uh, he was in a band called The Scavengers. They were like a okay. New Zealand punk band. Right, right. Um, yeah, like I grew up across the street from Roland S. Howard, like we'd walk to school together kind of vibe. Um, cool. It was very like St Kilda punk scene. So... And then I listened to, like, a lot of pop music. Like, day to day, I listened to, like, very straight-up pop music a lot of the time. Awesome. And and other stuff, you know, lots of other stuff in between. Mm -hmm. But it's funny because I feel like that is sort of like an accurate portrait of me (laughs) somehow, which is maybe a coincidence. I don't know. Well, I think, you know, we we obviously, I've said it before on this podcast, we bring our own personalities into our music because... It's just what we do. It's like, and it's an it's an ex- expression or an extension of who we are. And so, I think even in you know in the pop stuff that you make, you might be you know subconsciously bringing in some of that punk aspect. Let's let's like leave this a bit loose or you know a bit messy, just because mm-hmm. it's, it's your personality. So I think that that generally just makes a whole lot of sense. Um, to your sessions, they look. Um, pretty similar across the board. Do you have a similar structure in the way that you like to to do things? Is there, you know, do you start off with the pre-production, let's do some songwriting or that sort of thing? Or do you know the bands no, it, come to you with, with stuff already done? It really varies, I think. Because, you know, like I have friends who everything they do will be in a small room, like maybe they'll go record some drums later or something. But, like, some of the things I do are, like, hey, we're a band, we want to record and we go from that angle. Or other things are, like, hey, this is a solo artist and, yeah, then we will record whatever live instrumentation afterwards. But, yeah, it really varies. 
because of that. And also, I guess the last couple of years I've, you know, I lived in Sydney for a bit and then since I've been back in Melbourne, I've been kind of like, I've moved studios a couple of times. And so mm. I'm kind of, I guess, still trying to figure out what, if there is a specific workflow in that sense. But I think, mm. yeah, it changes artist to artist. What's your purely. favorite way to do it then? Oh, if I could choose... If I could choose anything, I would have a giant studio that I owned with all of the best things and <laughs> then you could do anything you want in there. But um, that's obviously not that easy. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So but in terms of the actual process, like what what's your favourite way to approach a recording session? I don't think I have a favourite way. I think it really depends on the artists because mm -hmm. different artists work differently. So... You know, some people work in bursts, like, okay, let's just do a week on this thing, or some people work better a day a week or whatever. So mm -hmm. I think my favourite way is just whatever is the most productive in terms of what works for the artist or, like, what works for me in relation to working with the artist. Yeah. Does that usually come from the artist or are you more directing, like, okay, based on you know their personalities and things like that we need to do it this way or is it more like just go with the flow um go with the flow within reason yeah, yeah. <laughs> go with the structured flow <laughs> has there been any sort of times where that hasn't worked and and how do you navigate those sorts of situations I mean the only thing I guess is you know sometimes people well often people have a budget or like they work full time or something, some kind of other constraint, mm -hmm. um, in which case you just have to do things when, when you can or for how long you, you can. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And, um, when it comes to like a great session, like you walk away from the studio after a day or a week or whatever it might be, and you'd be like, that was awesome. What do those sessions look like? Are they high energy or are they really chill and relaxed? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure everything I do is kind of chill and relaxed. Even if it's, <laughs> you know, five songs in a day or whatever, I'll still be chill and relaxed about yeah. it. So. Yeah. Yeah. So that, yeah. So the enjoyment, where does that come from in terms of, you know, the recordings? Are, are you loving the production side of things? Are you really hands-on there? Or is it like getting sounds? Uh, I think one informs the other, you know. Like I, I feel like, yeah, because I come from a sound engineer vibe mm -hmm. or like yeah doing that sound design degree and stuff mm -hmm. I am very like sound focused and if something yeah. doesn't sound good I'll be like was it that good but um yeah I think that that kind of sound informs the production yeah or whatever yeah for sure has you, has, has there ever been sort of any times where, especially in your own sessions where you've had to kind of go, oh man, this isn't, this isn't working. Is there always sort of things that pop up to you as like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to work, work around this? I think it's only ever sort of about me or about the artist, like when someone's just having um, a bad day or like low energy or something's kind of going on. What, yeah, whether that be me or the artists or artists. 
Um, when it's the artist, I'm very good at being like, okay, I understand. Da, da, da. When it's me, I'm like, oh no, it's me. I should have like <laughs> had more sleep or I should have done less stuff last week or, you know, and I get in my head about it a bit. But yep. I think I'm trying to be a bit more um, aware <laughs> of my energy and how to plan my life around it. Sure, sure. And um, so when when those times sort of happen, like how do you address it? Is it is it like let's cut the session off here and come back another day or how do you push through? Um, usually like go for a walk um, or maybe if like work on something else if there's like another song or something or, yeah, I feel like there's – occasionally times where I'll be like, hmm, I know that I am at my end today and I'll be mm. like, let's resume. But I'll, I'll usually try and push through for at least five hours or something. You know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, because you never know when you're going to get that second burst <laughs> of energy and sometimes those are the times when the best the best stuff comes out and, and so sometimes, you know, cutting it off and being like, oh. I mean, a lot of the time it's yeah. like if we're booked in, it's we can't cancel totally. it because it's your money and it's like I'm not – it's my money too, you know. So it's like yeah. I'm not going to necessarily cut this short, and you know. Yeah, that's mostly just from our production spaces. If it was engineering, I would just push through. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Do yeah. you what, what then? Are there some of the hardest things? Do you think about being a producer or an engineer in? live and then in the studio because I think we haven't had many live engineers talking so I would like to unpack that a bit. I actually think that live engineering is really good um oh what's the word like training I guess as in live circumstances are just so stressful and there's so mm -hmm. much that can go wrong and you really particularly if you're like on a tour you have to push through no matter what and it, to an extent where maybe some of that stuff's a bit unhealthy. Mm. Um, but, you know, once you've done that, you can do anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think for me the reason why I stopped doing as much live stuff as I used to is is purely the stress factor and some people thrive on that. Some people just, like, love being put in difficult scenarios and troubleshooting and try and figure it out. But that, you know, that one or two hours before a gig to me is like <laughs> unbearable. Once a gig started and we're mixing and stuff, it's great. Like it's so enjoyable. But that hour or two before where, you know, why can't I hear any subs or something like that and you can't figure <laughs> out the system and shit, that shit just like, Oh, it's too much for me, but some people love that. Are you are you one of those people that just love those sorts of scenarios? Uh, I would not say love. I do yeah. love problem solving. I like, yeah, once the problem's solved, I like problem solving. And I feel like you pretty much always solve the problem, you know, unless yeah. there's something broken. But it's a good that's point. not it's a good point. anything you do. <laughs> but, yeah, I think I definitely don't thrive off stress, but... Um, I think I am good at um, repressing stress, I guess, in a way that I'm, I don't, you know, if something goes wrong, I'm not like, ah, da da da, yeah. or at least outwardly. Um, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. And does that, so you were saying that like really helps you from coming from that place, going into the studio. 
are there specific things that you can talk about that are similarities in the studio to live? Um, yeah, I guess the problem solving, you know, or just basic signal flow stuff. I feel like everyone I know that does live in the studio, it's if you've had to patch a stage before, you can patch a studio much quicker or more efficiently. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like actually the big one is dealing with people. Like you have to deal with so many people in a live sound scenario so and you know good days and bad days of artists and stuff so Mm. um that kind of skill is really translatable and beneficial in the studio absolutely and it's it's huge even it's amplified even more because it is a high stress environment well it can be um like you said you know depending on whether the artists are you know Drugs and alcohol influence things, sleep influences things and people can react to those sorts of scenarios if things aren't going right. You have to be able to just figure it out because it's your job. And, um, you know, you're right, those, those sorts of times definitely set you up for the studio where it is much more of like, okay, we've got a little bit of time to figure it out. You know, I don't want the artist to be sitting there thinking that I've got no idea what's going on, but it definitely allows you to take control, I think, uh, a lot easier in in those stressful situations that might occur in the studio. Hey, thanks so much for listening so far. There is plenty more to come, so don't go anywhere. I just wanted to let you know that this podcast is made completely independently by myself with no sponsors. So if you like what you hear and you would like to show your support, you can send a donation to the PayPal link, paypal.me slash what's that sound. The link is also in the show notes. Thanks so much for your support and let's get back to it. Awesome. So let's um, let's get a little bit nerdy. I always like to unpack um, some of the favorite gear and tools and software and stuff like that that um, people that join me on this podcast love to use. So and I think yours will be interesting as well because live engineering is quite different to to studio uh engineering and mixing so first of all what are you some some of your favorite pieces of hardware uh in a live scenario and then in a studio scenario live wise um i mean i came into it at a purely digital part of live sound like i mean Mm. i've mixed shows on an analog console before but it was one I started out, there was pretty much no analog consoles except for like really small rooms where there was like, you know, Mix Wizard or something mm-hmm. in the corner. Yep. Um, so recently I've gotten really into Ellen and Heath D lives as a console. Mm-hmm. Um, I just feel like particularly in their like small format console, they have all of these routing things and you know the inbuilt compressor modes and stuff that are really cool Mm. um but I think I've come to this realization that it really depends on the band which sort of particularly in a studio sense duh but (laughs) I guess a lot of live engineers will be like this is the console I use and I use it for everything yeah um what are the what things what what yeah unpack that Okay, so I did. I just did a tour with Amal and the Sniffers, mm-hmm. and um, I didn't tour a console, so I got to use lots of different 
consoles along mm-hmm. the way. And without a doubt, um, the best thing or the thing that worked the best was profiles or SXLs, yeah. Avid consoles, um, because you can just use Waves plugins on them. Whereas I know, you know, like Digicos or even DLives and stuff, you can have Waves servers and use Waves plugins with them. Um, but, yeah, obviously we weren't touring that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess, you know, having SSL bus comps and good analog tapey sounding delays, you know, H delay and stuff yeah. just really works for them. Whereas if I was mixing live something more pop orientated, I would prefer like a newer, cleaner, crispier mm-hmm. console, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which, you know, D labs and stuff are really, really, and Digicos and stuff are really good at, um, but it's harder to make them sound dirty or more saturated mm. or any of those yeah. things without those external wave servers and stuff. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And so then what about studio? What's some of your favorite pieces of hardware studio wise? That can include uh, mics as well. Oh, I, so this mic, I really like these Sony. Well, this is a 38 B. I think I would prefer to have a 37, but they were really expensive. Well, <laughs> they're quite expensive. Yeah. Um, yeah, it really depends. Yeah, again, because I do work on lots of different things, I think it depends on the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, you know, constantly learning, oh, this works with this, but this doesn't, you know, it doesn't work with this. Yeah. I'm really into effects like I really love reverb and delay and chorus and stuff like that and I find that I'll always buy little cheap weird random stuff because I think having kind of you know you can get Valhalla verb or whatever and it sounds really good um but having something kind of random might be like the more interesting, bringing something more interesting to the yeah, music. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it's always it's always fun to like, for me to play around with stuff and see how I can misuse plugins because that is when it gets really interesting and you can be like, I wonder if this would work on this track and then it just brings this sound that you never would have thought about and it also just makes your, uh, you know, your music stand out and sound different to everyone else's, which I think is really important. Totally. Yeah, I guess when if I am recording like full band situation, uh, a lot of the time I'll do it at Sound Park in Northcote and Idge, the owner, just has this like incredible collection of microphones and outboard gear that I will never own all of. So, yeah, yeah again, it's sort of circumstantial. If I'm, I'm kind of trying to, in a mixing sense be like okay it's okay that I will never own you know a bunch of this stuff so I need and it's also I've been thinking about it lately in terms of like every time I bounce stems I'm like oh it's so good that I didn't do it you know I did this all in the box you know like yeah yeah Yeah. so do you like to like use hardware on the way in yeah I do I feel like I really love 
the tactility of it. And I think, like, I I think if I was, a, well, um, alive, engineering in the 70s or something, I would have really loved working with tape all the time and working with mm. outboard gear and stuff all the time. Um, but Yeah, there's some, there is definitely see... something about it, being able to manipulate the sound as it's happening and, you know, mm. baking it in, it just it limits your options on on the way out in terms of being able to mix it differently. But that can be really beneficial for speed purposes. Um, getting the sound great on the way in is always important, especially for miking. Um, but not only that, using some outboard gear like, you know, compressor or EQ that gives that sound its character that you couldn't necessarily, you might be able to get with a plug-in, but, you know, you might spend hours trying to find that sound if you're not familiar with a whole bunch of different plugins. So what about um, software? What uh, what system do you use? I use Pro Tools for mixing yep. and recording and I use Ableton if I'm doing some kind of producery thing that is needs drum beats yep. or synths and stuff, which yeah, yep. is kind of a really clunky thing to do, particularly if I produce something in Ableton and then I'm mixing it as well, I'll end up carrying it across to Pro Tools and it's I, it's very annoying. <laughs> um, yeah. And I've kind of got this dream of learning how to use Cubase because I feel like the people that use it that I know I've and watched use it, I'm like, wow, it does all of the things in one spot. Um, but then, should, yeah, I mean, give, kind of uh, too... should give Studio One a try just quietly. It's amazing. Oh, I don't know what that is. Uh, Persona Studio One. One. Oh, another it's, one. It's amazing. I, I will, I will brag about not brag about it, but I will like promote it till the cows come home. I'm not sponsored by them or anything, but it's it's <laughs> just the best software. But anyway, that's just me having my two cents. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know, like I find MIDI and stuff in Pro Tools really clunky and like, you know, I'll try and do it, but it just, yeah, but then I love mm. mixing in Pro Tools and I've used it for years and I know all the key commands and I, you 100%. know. Yeah, beautiful. And then plugin-wise, what? let's start off with, you know, let's start off with EQs. What are some of your go-tos? I know it depends on the, the acts, but is there like, that? that's my one. Um, I mean, Fab Filter Pro very basic vibe but yeah it just, i think everyone every, on this podcast yeah. has mentioned that <laughs> for it's good reason very easy actually the other day i was listening to this podcast with miramasa you know yep. miramasa yep yep and he was like yeah i don't use any eqs that have a visual thing i just use like da -da -da -da. and i was like Whoa. Yep. yeah yeah but you know yeah. what i don't really look because I I guess from live sound and stuff, I have pretty good frequency ear. Like I don't ever really look at the picture. It's just yeah. the workflow of it seems really 100%, easy and 100%. it's very transparent and blah, blah, blah. For sure, for sure. But what sometimes about, if I want if I want to use like um, sometimes I'll use like a SSL E channel or G channel, mm -hmm. but yep. only yep. if I'm think of it <laughs> is yeah. there something that you're looking for when you're using specific plugins or is it just like i need to get this sound let's go uh i think it's a bit of both like sometimes you know whether it just be functional or stylistic mm -hmm. um like if i'm just doing some kind of functional eq i'll use 
fab filter, for example. But mm -hmm. if it's like I want something a little bit more um, tonal or something, I'll mm -hmm. maybe reach for something else. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. What about compressors? Um, most well, I'll, I use the UAD eleven seventy six heaps. Yeah. Um, I've been using the um isotope one lately a bit. Right. Right. Um, like the neutron. Yeah, yeah. Compressor. Yeah, love it. There's, um, I, I've been eyeing off Neutron 4 because that thing looks pretty crazy. Some of the stuff that I can do is, looks 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 very impressive. But uh, Yeah, I only we'll ever see. really <laughs> use, like I'll use the DSer or I'll, mm -hmm. uh, no, do they have a DSer? I'll use the yeah, I think so, yeah. Exciter or I'll use the compressor, mm -hmm. but I never really use the, the full chain for some reason, yeah. even though I think that's the point of the plugin. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah. some of the, some of the, uh, DSPs are better than others. So, I mean, I'm, I'm the same if there's any, you know, multi-effects plugins, there's usually one or two of the, of the sections that I'll, that I'll use over others because they have a specific mm. sound or functionality, right? Like, or whatever. What about, uh, what about reverbs? You're a big fan of reverbs. Let's talk that. Yeah. Um, oh, I just got the Arturia effects collection. Which cool. is so good. It sounds so good. And there's a really nice plate, but it's very clean. It's a very clean mm. plate, but it sounds real. It just sounds mm -hmm. very, it sounds like a very clean, real plate. So yeah, I love it. the last week I've been using that quite a bit. Mm. Um, yeah, there's something about reverbs, obviously digital reverbs is like to get them to actually sound usable half the time, you have to do so much post-processing processing or, you know, pre-processing before or after the reverb to actually get it to sound like a good reverb. So some of the coolest reverbs are the yeah. ones that sound. I find specifically with plates as well, like I used to always think I don't really get plate reverbs. Like I don't think it sounds very good. And then I used a real plate and I was like, oh, wow, plate <laughs> reverbs are so cool. But I yeah. haven't really found a digital version until this Arturia one that I've been like, yeah, this is good. Awesome. Um, so I use that. I use the uh, Aventide. Mm -hmm. It was a SP two six two thousand sixteen quite mm -hmm. a lot. Mm -hmm. And UAD AMS. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I use delays? heaps of different reverbs. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Delays. I really like the. Echo Cat mm. and as like a sort of slappy thing. Yeah. And yep. I really like the Valhalla delay. It's like yeah. can do anything. It almost does too many different things. Mm -hmm. It's like I sit there going, oh, this one, no, this one, this one. <laughs> do you have um, a, a favorite element in mixes that you love to love to work on? I think maybe the the spatiality, I don't know if that's a word, but <laughs> let's make like, it a word. Um, I really love mixes and production that's like very clear in a spatial sense. Um, so, yeah, if I can get that happening, I'm always mm. like, this is the best thing. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like vocal vocal effects, I guess, as well, which kind of plays into that. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So you're, you were talking for your own mixes, getting something to, to, to have nice space and 
sort of that you can, you know, intelligibility is probably a good word for it. But um, what are some of your favorite mixes that when you hear your, what, what is it about a good mix to you? Like, can you explain what you think a good mix is? Um, I mean, I feel like it's, yeah, it's very subjective. Mm. Um, and also I listen to lots of things that I don't necessarily think this is the best mix of. Um, but I do like, yeah, Miramasa, Mm -hmm. those, those mixes just like blow my mind. Like Mm. I like how it's like a feeling or something. It's not even, it's like, I don't even really understand (laughs) but I I think a lot of that comes from like the production um Mm. with him but oh okay so I've been listening to the new Beyonce album lots and it's really interesting because I feel like the the production is so cool and it's like so well thought out and Mm. I listened to this podcast about it and like how she just you know, cleared all the samples and had enough money to just be like, I want this, I'm going to do this thing, which is really cool. But it's interesting because listening to it, I'm not like I love the mix. Like Mm. um, I don't think it's bad. I I think it's good. I think it serves the exact function it needs. Mm. But it's been really interesting to me because I'm like, I really love this album, but I'm not like, wow, the mix sounds really good. I'm just like, wow, the album is really good, you know? Well, I think think that's an important thing to mention is some of the best artists in the world, you can sit back and listen to it and go, kind of doesn't hit the mark, but at the end of the day, sometimes it's not actually about that. It's about, you know, everything plays a part in a production and a mix that con like that, you know, brings it all together and makes it that package. And it's really important to be aware of that as a producer, choosing sounds, choosing the right, you know, instruments, um, what will get this song to that place if that makes sense. And, and it, yeah, I mean, I've, I've listened to some, some of the greatest artists in the world and you're like, it's kind of shitty. Like Coldplay, for example, some of their mixes to me aren't good mixes, but it really just doesn't matter because the emotion's there. And that mm. is somewhat of a vibe in itself for it to be kind of a bit like set it up and go type deal. So it's, it's a real, it's a really, really good point. Um, what I like to do before we start to, to wrap it up is to get, um, some of your potentially good pieces of advice for first of all, producers or engineers. And then if there's any artists listening to, to give some advice to some artists. Ooh, broad question. Um, yeah. <laughs> Let's start with like producers and engineers. This is pointed towards people that might just be getting started and, you know, sure. some of the, the best things that you've learnt. Um, I feel like there's just so much stuff on the internet. Like you can learn anything on the internet. And so, yeah, spending time on the internet learning things, <laughs> yeah, which I still, cool. you know, I do every day. Um, yeah, yeah. Which is kind of basic, but, um, also just, I guess, and like, I mean, I deal with this and everyone I know that is in music or even in creative industries deals with Mm -hmm. this, but it's like, everyone is on a different path and there's like this weird thing of people comparing themselves to other people, which Mm. just like digs everyone into a hole and everyone goes through that at one point or another. So... 
I love that. And I think, uh, yeah, to, to jump off on that point as well is that you might think that there's a specific way to go about getting a result. Um, but like you said, everyone's on their own path and nothing's linear. It doesn't, mm. it A doesn't equal I B. I say that all the time. I'm always like, nothing's linear. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And, you know, I think because of the misconception of not only social media, but just like just stories that you hear through people is that, you know, they they blew up because of SoundCloud or, you know, they did this and they got that job where there's so many pieces of that puzzle that you are not seeing and so it's, yeah, like it's a really great point that, you know, everyone's on their different path. So just like live in the moment and take the, take the advantages that you, that, that come to you. Yeah. I love that. What about then for, you know, like artists, do you have any specific feedback for, you know, artists that want to work with producers or engineers? Uh, yeah. Let me think about that. Oh, okay. So I feel like artists pretty much every single artist I reckon that I've ever worked with who's sent me a demo has said, oh, like, oh, it's not, it's not very good. It's just a demo. <laughs> da, da, da. And I'm like, yeah, like that's, that's why you're coming to me. Like it's fine. <laughs> or like, oh, my rough mix is, you know, and so I, it's funny. I think it's just like embedded in people to like be a little bit self-deprecating or something, or maybe, yep. I don't know. So don't worry if demo, you know, a producer or engineer's job is to like hear the good in something, not mm -hmm. like the bad, I guess. And yeah, I, love it. I think that's it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. I think, um, I mean, I do it all the time with like unfinished mixes. It's like, oh, I've still got this to do. Or I've still got that to do. It's like people don't care. <laughs> they don't care. They like if you're working on it and it's not finished, it's not finished. Like it's totally fine. Like, yeah, we, we all have our part to play and, you know, you can have things to say about the end result, but even in five years time, we listen back to those works that we did at that time. And we'll always find something that we could have done better, but it's where you are at the time. And that's, that's a, a really important thing. Just go with it. I think that that is what gives anything is sound is like, that's a point in time for you, whether you're a producer totally. or an engineer or an artist, that's you're at this point in your life. Just go with it. I love it. Yeah. Well, Thank you so much um, for joining us today. Um, what I want to know is where can people find you? How can they get in touch? Um, yeah. Um, Instagram, I guess. Yep. <laughs> or, um, What's so your handle? Bonnie Vazilia Amelia Knight. B O N N I E V E Z E L E A A M E L I A. K-N-I-G-H-D, which is really long. Yeah, making <laughs> like it easy for people. <laughs> like an alphabet. Um, yeah, that's probably the best Beautiful, place. beautiful. Anything that you've got coming up that you want to promote? Nope. <laughs> that's all good. That's nope. all good. No worries. Well, we'll have links in the show notes for your playlist. Um, yeah, we'll have links to your, you know, contact details. If anyone wants to reach out to Bonnie, Go for it. Thank you again. And thank you so much. Thank you so much <laughs> to everyone for checking us out, listening in, watching in. Um, best thing that you can do to share this around to your friends, 
post it on your stories, all that sort of thing. That's how we can, you know, spread this around. But at the very least, subscribe or follow so you can stay up to date with the new episodes. Thanks again and thank you, Bonnie. Thank you. All right. See you next time. Thanks for listening to What's That Sound. Make sure you hit follow or subscribe on your podcast platform to stay up to date with each new episode. We'll catch you next time.